Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. Um, this episode, like all episodes for now, is brought to you by me. Um, I make all of the podcast episodes free, but for $8 a month, you can join the Third Way community and get all of my essays and some other goodies. So thank you for the growing list of subscribers. They said it couldn't be done, and they were wrong, and that makes me happy. Uh, also makes me happy is to get to speak to someone I admire very much and respect very much, uh, Sarah Holly. Sarah is the CEO of Remotely, which is the world's first co uh, um, company that matches companies looking for remote workers. Um, we are going to talk about work today, but Sarah is definitely a third way thinker. We had her on our uh, Root and River webcast um, last year, I think it was, and I very much admire her work. Um, uh, Sarah is also an author of a book called Conscious Leaders, uh, Conscious Leadership, excuse me, and I will link to Remotely and Sarah's LinkedIn and the book in the show notes. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Justin. It's great to be here. I always love our conversations. So thanks for yes. such a beautiful intro. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so the topic that we agreed on is, uh, or I proposed that you said was cool, is new ways to work. And um, new ways to work is, I think it's an interesting thing because you look at these, um, these kind of big four institutions that have just kind of determined humanity for years. You had you have religion, government, education, and then the last four or 500 years, corporations. And they all tell us what they've told us, what, who to marry, what, where to live, what jobs you're going to have. And that's all falling apart. But the, one of the last places to fall apart and actually listen to the people is work. Mm -hmm. And you are at the forefront of that. You are a revolutionary in a lot of ways about how you're going about creating these new ways to work. And I'm curious, it's not one of the questions I sent in advance because it's more directed just for you. It's like, you're a super smart person and you're connected and you, you know what you're doing. You've taken multiple companies to exit and et cetera, et cetera. Why this? Why remotely and why this particular area of society? that you, mm. you're putting your muscle behind. Mm, I just started tingling, vibrating when you said that. Um, it, it, I turned my company's remote in 2014, um, purely because I think I always questioned all of those structures and things that you were talking about and all of those ways of being and really always just found it hard to kind of fit in the box of society's rules and frameworks. And so, you know, I wanted to travel and live in the US. I was originally from Australia, as you can probably hear. Um, but I decided to turn my company's remote, which at the time was really strange and not heard of. And we had a financial planning businesses was the, the business I was in. So you know, very unusual for a financial planning business to go remote and start hiring global staff and have the founder move internationally and all of that. But I, I always say working remotely was the key that unlocked the door to really significant and transformational change for me as an individual, um, as a friend, a partner, um, a daughter and a leader. And I just became increasingly passionate about what I was experiencing and living with my team and how different it was from what I was still witnessing in the world when it came to work. And when I sold my last financial planning company in 2018, you know, I, ha I had a breakdown, <laughs> quite frankly, and um, had a huge kind of the ego death 
type experience and the questioning of who am I without finance because I'd been in finance for 17 years and um, although I'd had other businesses I had always had a core financial planning business um, and while I'd been successful in that I wondered if I would be successful doing anything else and all of those kinds of things and as I moved through that crisis and started to come back to center and started to think about okay well you know what if you could do something else and 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 probably eventually you have to get back on that horse after you've gone through the the ego death I started thinking about well what do I care about the most and what am I most passionate about and it was just inequivocably remote work like that's what I felt so passionate about and this was early 2019 and still totally weird thing to be doing working remotely with a global team and and all of that and but I just felt like it was there was just nothing else I just felt like it was such an important thing but also that it had to be the future I just couldn't see a world where we wouldn't eventually get there Um, at the time I thought it was a 10 plus year time horizon but it felt like what I wanted to dedicate my life to because I knew that this idea of having to go to an office and living by somebody else's rules of you have to turn up at this time and leave at that time and you have to have this one hour for lunch and um, you know the, the typical hierarchy as well of like I'll tell you what to do and the level of micromanagement and disempowerment that's really happening in that system in the same way that it's happening in education and government and, and all of that. Um, I just knew there's a better way for us to live and my life was so amazing. I live where I want. I I live in the community that's most resonant for me. I travel, I have all these adventures and I get to do work that I absolutely love. And what I experienced as well in going remote is that the lives of the people who worked with me in my companies were also transformed because they got to have those same advantages and benefits that typically were kind of reserved for entrepreneurs. Like we were the only ones that, that were in charge of our destiny. Um, even though in many cases we, we kind of trapped ourselves, but the idea of, of freedom and being able to create one's own lifestyle and destiny was sort of reserved for entrepreneurs. And I saw in my, in my journey that my team were able to do the same thing. They had the same freedoms that I did and they were reaching levels of fulfillment and engagement and joy And so, yeah, I just felt like this is the thing that I want to dedicate my life to. And then when the pandemic happened, obviously everyone experienced remote work really quickly, which was fabulous for my mission and my company because um, it was no longer this slow drip 10, 20 year thing. We all saw that shit, we could have been doing this for the last 10 or 20 years and, and now we can we can embrace it. So it's been a really amazing journey that was very timely, but ultimately I'm just doing it because I'm, it just, it lights my soul on fire and it feels like such an important change. Yeah. I love that. And, oh, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, (laughs) I think that kind of goes into this, this first question for us to kick around is when we talk about new ways to work, I would I would put obviously uh, remote working as one of the kind of primary ones, but there's also then things like um, no, no hierarchies, like the way that Gore-Tex, the brand Gore-Tex is run with no middle management or uh, Patagonia doesn't do like financial forecasting, um, uh, you know, a whole variety of things that sort of transcend Taco Tuesdays and, you know, employee benefits programs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this, there's all of these new ways to work. And it goes to this idea that 
to me, the number one job as a leader, and I think it's probably always been this way, but certainly as we move into much more of the human age than the industrial age, the number one job of a leader is to protect the human dignity of the people that she or he serves. And so however you need to go about doing that, that is your job as a leader. What I'm curious is what do you run into as you're out, you know, you're, you're a very public figure around this idea um, and what obstacles or mindsets and really systemic obstacles? Because I think a lot of people, a lot of leaders are going, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And then they won't do it because it's more, mm -hmm. it's a pain in the ass in their mind to switch from what they were doing to a new way. So mm -hmm. I'm curious about what some sort of systemic obstacles you run into related to leaders adopting new ways to work. I think the biggest obstacle is this idea of hierarchy and then this falsehood that we've been sold that we are i love the way you said protect the human dignity because if you really dig into that it's not protecting the people it's protecting their dignity which means you're empowering them or you're yeah. creating a space where that they can step into a fully empowered, full potential version of themselves. Correct. And I think a lot of our systems and structures have been sold to us on the basis of this caretaking idea that people don't know, um, you know, what they need and what's right. good for them. And, and some person in authority or some body in authority needs to make the decisions for people because you know they need to be protected from themselves they need to be protected from this world and i don't don't subscribe to that you know i subscribe to an empowered world a world where individuals actually know their uniqueness their power their potential their ability to create their ability to shift and evolve and but what that means is i as the leader cannot sit on top of them all or above them all and direct what's going on. I need to take myself off that pedestal and I need to sit, stand by their sides and, and understand that we are sovereign, a group of sovereign, empowered human beings coming together to bring something to life, um, whatever our company is. And my role might be leader, CEO, which I think of as leadership, vision, and strategy. So if I'm, if it's a ship, you know, I'm out there with the, um, what do you call that thing? The microscope, not the microscope, something that makes you, you can look far. Telescope. <laughs> telescope. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out there with a telescope and kind of the charts and making sure, you know, I'm, I'm kind of guiding us to where we're trying to get to, but I can't, do that on my own. I can't do that without the people giving me the information that the winds are changing. I can't do it without the people rowing or, or whatever all the things are that happen on a boat. Like everyone is equally important and we all have a job to, a role to play in uh, the task of getting us to the destination. And so stepping off this pedestal and this idea of like, I need to hold all of it and everybody, I need to protect them all for themselves, which leads to like a lack of transparency and things like that. And I need to actually be with them and I need to be in my fullest expression and my fullest transparency. I need to share the things that are difficult so that I can draw on this incredible brain power that's around me. We need to solve problems together and move forward toward this end goal that I'm holding the vision for, you know, and, I, and I'm reminding them of the vision. Like, this is where we're going. Like the winds change direction, I know, but we still want to go in that place. So how do we, how do we move and navigate to still get there or, or what have you? So I think the, the biggest obstacle is to, to unpack 
and let go of the stories that we need to protect our teams from themselves. We need to shelter them from stress and from information and, you know, all of these things because they won't be able to handle it. And, you know, we need to set policies and rules so they know what to do. And I think there's kind of another way to create a really beautiful environment that's much more about alignment. It's much more rather rules. We have an ethos and a value set that we all agree and we opt in to hold ourselves to on this journey. And if we don't agree anymore, like it's okay for us to get off the boat and go on another boat, like even normalizing that, like there's no, I think a lot of the old ways of working is a very um, like you owe me kind of structure. Like I gave you a job. You're lucky to have a job. I pay you every week. And, you know, on the other side, the employees, like I work so hard for this company, they wouldn't survive without me. I should be paid more or I should have more like, taking away all of that and remembering that every single day we get a choice if we want to keep working together and keep moving forward on this journey. And if it doesn't feel in alignment, it's totally okay to move in a different direction. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot, there's so much, yeah. but I think it's yeah. just these old paradigms of, of the fact that someone in authority knows what's best for other people is, is yes. a real barrier. Yeah. Um... I've been thinking a lot about that of this sort of um, like two like intercept or like an axis or a quadrant where there's there's a, on one end that let's say the north the upper end is like let's say a liberation and the bottom is a, is tyranny mm -hmm. and then you have love to fear as the other axis mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I think that there are plenty of people that operate in the love and and oh, not not authoritarian excuse me love and uh, or, uh, liberty and um authoritarianism excuse me mm -hmm. and i think there's a lot of a lot of especially business a lot of leaders that still operate in that love and tyranny quadrant which sounds weird mm -hmm. but it is that sort of egalitarian i'm here to take care of you very um yes patronizing it's sort of an extension of patriarchal thinking yeah in, in many ways um the obstacle that i see and in, in, in general to new to, to new ways of working is less maybe about specific to, to remote work. And it's more related to that. I think the main resistance is so many leaders are, unless they're like a CEO or a founder, are unwilling to change their relationship with work. Their identity is around, I get up, I grind, I do my thing, and then I take my vacation and it's nice and neat and separate. Mm -hmm. um, the, the pandemic kind of fucked all that up. And it reminds me of a a cartoon by one of my prior guests, David Hayward, the naked pastor on Instagram has a cartoon, um, a, a minister, old minister talking to a young minister and the young minister says, well, um, I'm worried about the, the pandemic because what if people realize they don't need to go to church anymore? And the older minister goes, what if you realize you don't need to go to church anymore? And I just, you swapped it out with the work. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, what if people don't want to come to work anymore? Well, what if you don't want to come to work anymore? And I think that's a that's a, um, that's a big shift for people, especially dudes from my generation, which they really get their identity from the work that they do. Mm -hmm. um, so this kind of leads into the next question that we get more personal to, you know, not so much global societal shifts and things like that, and more around a phrase. And I don't remember where I picked it up from, from, from you, but I, it was in a bio or something. And it was this idea of creating a life of absolute freedom which I love the declarative nature of that. Um, and so how are you doing that? Or maybe another way to ask that is 
if somebody is to how how would someone go about doing that if they are doing the normal old ways of working and being in the world and they like I don't want to do this anymore how do they go about creating a life of absolute freedom yeah that's such a interesting and, and actually big question and I feel like I've spent most of my life exploring and trying to understand freedom from a deep desire to be yeah. free um, you know, when I was in finance, a lot of my ways that I was trying to achieve freedom was financially. I, you know, I was working toward having a certain amount of money so that I would be free to choose whatever I wanted to do in my life. And, you know, that is one level and one aspect. But what I also see now is that even money in its existence and having a relationship with it uh, in many ways, you know, we're not free <laughs> of that. So, it's, it's a constant exploration, but I think the place to start for people is what in your life do you think you have to do or do you feel obligated to do because you are not free whenever we are acting out of the idea that we have to do something and listen to your inner voice, listen to the words that you're using when you talk to people. Uh, those are the, that's where you're not free. And, and most of the time we're actually more afraid than we realize. And so we use these uh, so-called, so you know, traps that we position as being out of our control. Um, but the ultimate freedom is to claim back our control and say like, I'm not actually trapped by that. Right. You know, I get to choose whether that is an obligation that I agree to or not. Um, so it's a constant, constant unpacking and, and even like deeply into one of the things I've discovered over the last couple of years, I've done a lot of deep thinking, you know, the pandemic really, really caused me to think even more deeply about everything. Where do all of the stories of who we are and how we live today come from? Tracing them back beyond a hundred years, but let's go back and back and back and remember, and this is one of the most freeing things, remember that every single thing that we have created is made up everything you know every single look around the room look at whatever your eyes lay on you know a phone the bike next to me the table it was all made up it didn't exist without us um, and remembering our innate power to create new ways of being new things new ideas new structures the thing that i i came back to was when i hold a belief something when I say I believe x I'm not free because I have closed the door to any other possibility I, I love that your podcast is, is called the third way and we talk about this all the time you know we can get into really binary yes. ways of thinking and, and your your idea is the third way and I like to think of it as you know infinite possibilities and infinite potential we 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 often are trying to make a decision between two points or we're looking at something as being right or wrong but there's infinite ways of being and the way that I like to look at things instead of saying I believe this and closing the door to any other potential is you know this resonates with me right now and the door's cracked open for more information more knowledge more experiences um, and something to change so I find that not holding fast to beliefs is very freeing yeah yeah wow and I think that curiosity is a key thing too. Like you said, start to begin, begin to examine some of the things that you think you need and think you believe. Um, I think we all have, I used to call it the river. It's like a sound, a distant sound. 
Like we're, we're born into this world and then we're shaped by our, you know, our situation. And, mm-hmm. and there's, there's some sort of distant river, like, a, like you hear, like in hiking, you know, you hear that distant river. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's calling us. It's something calling us. And I think it's our purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And I think all purpose is rooted in freedom. Um, and that it is that you begin to start listening to it. And then you start to organize your life around it. Um, and then what I've noticed too, is that you have to be aware that this is a garden or a farm. It's not one and done. You don't build it and you're done. It's like the encroachment on your time, the encroachment on your liberty, the encroachment on your, um, your, 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 the way you want to operate in the world is constant. Um, Mm -hmm. and which is normal. There's no, I don't think there's any evil behind it. I think it's just the normal ecosystem of, you know, humans interacting with each each other with competing systems to to a large Mm -hmm. extent. And I am not at a place where I have absolute freedom, but I will tell you this is I, and I wrote about this, um, a few weeks ago and, uh, and it was came after my, um, younger son, who is, as we record this is May 17th, it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Caden. Oh, happy four years old. Um, so he, his dear, sweet girlfriend, Madison lost her mom and dad and sister in a plane crash, um, about two months ago. And obviously devastating, obviously the, a level of, of witnessing, I didn't know them, but a witnessing a level of grief that I've never seen before in Madison and, and in Caden. And um, I, I remember it was the day after, and after we got the news and Virginia and I met Caden's mom, my former partner, Lena at their house. And we were there till early in the morning. And the next day I, I, I just had the, I had two prevailing feelings. One was this obvious deep grief and, and, and incredible admiration of the strength of these two young people going through this. And also like, I'm gonna, I just need, I wanna live. As cliched as that sounds, I was like, I want to live. And I was like, if, I, if this was the last day, one of the last days on earth, what would I do? And I thought, well, I would buy Virginia some, I love buying her clothes. I'm gonna go buy her two pieces of two outfits or two things. I went to this little store um, off of 35th that I love to go to and, and bought her a couple of things. And it sounded silly maybe, but it was like, no, that's what it is. That's what my higher self was asking me to do. The second thing I did is I began to, from that moment, I'm still actively working on it, reorganizing my entire life around my higher self or using David Hawkins's map of consciousness above the courage line. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that we sometimes we, I mean, we, we don't do shit we don't want to do. I was in a, a professional, a professional group this morning that I swear sucked all the dopamine out of me. Uh, and it was boring <laughs> as hell, but I remembered, well, I chose to be there. And I, so I had to live with that. And, and so, but that's all about just continually being in a place to choose mm-hmm. what is right for my higher self. And, and I think that to me is absolute freedom. I'm not, like I said, not quite there yet, but I feel it emerging and I feel it emerging from these, you know, dark moments in life where you're like, fuck this. I don't want to do it this way anymore. So yeah, those moments certainly make the obligations that we think we're holding ourselves to seem pretty ridiculous. Um, when, when we confront the impermanence of life, we think, what am I doing thinking that I have to do this? until this time or or whatever it might be but thank you for sharing that story i mean it's it's 
it's such a potent reminder for all of us and and thank you for also sharing being on the journey because I think that's really important like I'm also not completely free you know I've been trying to raise capital for my company over the last four or five months and it's been the hardest one of the hardest things I've ever done and I was waking up in the middle of the night stressing and going down my rabbit holes of problem solving how to do this how to do that how will we survive and you know it became very evident to me over time that like I was not free in that I'm not free when I am constantly worrying about this potential future and one of the ways that I've reclaimed my freedom in this aspect is complete and utter surrender to what is happening in my life and you know and I think both of these things exist which is so beautiful our ability to choose and create and move toward what our higher self desires and also the power at the same time of just surrendering to what is and there's a lot of freedom in that in just this like you know like I'm just gonna let it be and and I'm gonna show up and do my best and one of the things that are calling me and the things that feel like a yes in my body and that are more resonant and that honor my higher self. Um, but I'm also going to just surrender because yeah. <laughs> when I'm gripping and holding and trying to force, you know, there's not a lot of freedom in that. It, it feels mm-hmm. very, things are on the line and it's very serious and um, it kills the joy of the thing yeah. that we're doing often. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you, you know, again, the, the third way, and there's a lot of these, the th- thousands of them probably, enough to fill books of third ways. And that surrender is the third way between passivity and um, will or um, mm-hmm. like um, stridency, you know, like mm-hmm. grind. And it's, to me, surrender is the third way between the unhealthy masculine and the unhealthy feminine. Mm-hmm. Uh, or lower conscious masculine, lower conscious mm-hmm. feminine. That's what surrender is. And to me, surrender is, it goes in line too, that the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. Mm-hmm. The opposite of scarcity is receptivity. Mm-hmm. It's just let it come to you. And here's what I know about things of the soul. You don't get to decide what they are. They come to you and you get to decide whether or not to accept them. Yes. Um, and that's the choice. And Yes, we're co-authors with the universe, God, whatever. We are co-authors, but um, we're more the, to quote Hafiz, the Sufist um, poet, you know, we're more the whole in the flute that the breath of life passes through. We do have a role, but most of it is just to receive that, that wind of what's next. So mm-hmm. I want to wrap with sort of a fun question I've never asked on a podcast, but you're, you and I bond over a lot of things. And one of them is we're just super curious and we pay attention. So mm-hmm. I am curious about a new tool or hack, or a little thing that you do that's, that you've added to your life um, that you either found or created that's made your life a little easier, a little more joyful, a little more smooth. Mm. I mean, what initially comes to me is this surrender because it's very front of mind at the moment, Um, but it has taken a lot of the struggle that I was feeling and facing and just remembering that tool to maybe more of a remembering than a discovering. Um, I don't know if you wanted something more practical, but I'm I'm reading this surrender experiment, which um, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with and I've read several times before, but 
and and maybe that's a good tool and a hack as well like rereading these potent books because oftentimes when we've read something and then embraced and embodied it for a number of years going what I discovered was going back and reading it again I really tapped into a deeper level of what that book was speaking to and I've been able to embrace and embody that uh, again in my life now and it's been just absolutely glorious um, and really just seeing where you know this stress that I have on repeat in my life is is just that's that I'll, I'll solve this thing and the next thing will come up and I'll stress on it. Like a lot of it is just a pattern of just neural pathways of like, what is the thing that I can stress about now? And like, that's not freedom for me. So yeah, I, I think uh, maybe that's, maybe that's the thing. Is there a book that you've read in the past that might be calling you back? Because that was such a gift to me right. to reread something that was so potent originally and find yeah. new meaning. I like that. That's really good because that iterative process, you know, and the whole, when the student is willing, the teacher appears, well, maybe that the teacher needs to reappear on occasion. Um, yeah. You know, mine, my little hack that I've been, and it's not really a hack, it's more of a planning thing because, because life is so massively unpredictable. I actually have a new keynote I've been giving called the art of unfinishing. And it's like, to be a real leader, you, you leadership is navigating the, the unknown managing is navigating the known mm-hmm. and getting those backwards is called suffering. So, um, <laughs> And, but I kind of inspired by Jordan Peterson's future authoring model that he does is I created like a life authoring and I've created it with Virginia around what do we want our life to look like in five years? And then you, and so that's the imagination, you know, the pituitary gland, third eye, you know, sort of where we want to go and how we want to feel, where we want to be. So stuff like we want to split time between Austin, Nicaragua, Portland, Oregon, and France. That's kind of how we want to do that. And then, okay, so what do we need to earn in order to do that and work our way back? And then it goes to like uh, the question of, okay, what in our current systems would prevent that from happening? What in our current mindsets would prevent that from happening? And it doesn't mean it's going to happen exactly that way. It does, but it does mean in this future authoring or life authoring type of model that you are, you're, you're, you're integrating the masculine and the feminine um, in yourself, and in, in this case with my partner, and in that you create. That's what the integration of the masculine and feminine does from a from a spiritual standpoint and a biological standpoint too. Is it creates, mm-hmm. and it's creating something that isn't going to be like you didn't know what your baby was going to look like, uh, and but it 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 came out of you as this creation that from a part that you were, you know that you that you you were the incubator of, and mm-hmm. I think life is like that. Life is, life is essentially just putting yourself in places where the integrated parts of you can interact with the integrated parts of other people to make epic shit. And Mm -hmm. if you're doing it with your person, that's even more fun. So. So awesome. And I love like, even to think about, and I think this is probably kind of what you're saying, but like when we're dreaming of what we want to create, like how can we embody it now? You know, how can we, yeah, I love the idea of like what's preventing our what's preventing our current reality. I can't remember the words you use, but yeah. you know what's in the way of it being. And almost if you move those blocks, you're already living it. You know, and some extent, it, yeah. Like you said, it might not be the exact thing. Like you might not be getting on the plane, but like, how can I embody all of it now? Because the only yeah. thing, if I don't start embodying it now, it's it's never going to come to be. 
Right. Or if it's as an eight in the Enneagram and a, you know, high D um, in the disc, you know, type of person, I will think I got to, I have to make it happen. And the most mm. miserable, almost some of the most, not always, but some of the most miserable times of my life is where I tried to make it happen. Go back to you. What yes, you said about that's what I was doing mm. earlier this year. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that, that forcing it. And so, well, as always, you are fascinating. And um, I, like I said, I'll link to all of your, your stuff, your book and your website and everything in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much for coming on with me. Oh, thank you, Justin, for having me. It's always a pleasure. I love our conversations and I look forward to seeing you for lunch soon where we can keep talking. Yes. <laughs>